over the last five or six years, again, of, of recognizing the interconnectedness of it all and recognizing that my eating habits, if I'm eating meat and, and dairy and, and, and so on, all these other animal products, I am contributing to what I now know to be probably the biggest detriment to our planet, which is animal agriculture. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. We bring you leaders acting on their environmental values because too many people told me, I want to act, but if others don't, then what I do won't matter. We're here to make it obvious that you're not alone. You're part of a global community, a majority. Also, too many people told me, doing small things doesn't make enough of a difference and big things take too much work. Action matters more than the size you start with. You'll hear how action motivates guests from small things to doing big things. You won't find guilt, blame, doom, gloom, or telling people what to do. You will find leading without relying on authority, which brings what I found missing from acting on environmental values. Joy, discovery, growth, community, meaning, purpose, value, sharing. With global demand for environmental action, I bet you'll see that acting on your values doesn't distract from your life and career. Following these leaders' footsteps and beyond enjoying the environment, I bet you'll see promotions, raises, more loyalty and trust in your relationships, and more. Jared and I just jumped right into the conversation and about population, which I consider fundamental to the environment and frequently misunderstood, connected, I believe, erroneously with eugenics and things like that. I know it's a divisive topic, and I credit Jared with enabling me and for him comfortably talking about it. So credit to Jared on that one. Also, it's something that people disagree on. If you disagree, I'd love to hear from you. I know that people have projected doom for all of human history. So why should we believe that there's something special about right now? That's what Jared and I start talking about. Soon enough, we start talking about what he cares about nature. He's got a different view of nature than I do, which I appreciate hearing. It's been a while since I heard a different view. Back to Judith Glazer, I remember back in episodes 7 and 12, talking about things in a different way. And I got a lot of positive feedback from people saying, Joshua, I really appreciate this different way of looking at things. Jared and I talk about different things. He takes on a challenge that's a pretty interesting challenge. And let's listen. Now, I want to jump into something a little um, from our last conversation. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is going to be controversial or not, but we were talking about how populations stay stable on islands because you study this stuff. Now, maybe you didn't get to research it. But so for, for people who don't know that we spoke a couple of weeks ago, a month ago, and you have you care a lot about a lot of indigenous peoples and you've studied a lot. You were talking about stuff that you know about Hawaii and what was there before uh, Westerners got there and other islands and something that's been intriguing me for a long time. And I think is very, very interesting is that there are a lot of places where there would be populations of maybe a few hundred, a few thousand, maybe tens of thousands of people. And they would stay stable for a long time, centuries at least, maybe millennia. Mm -hmm. So the question to my mind, if anyone's listening to this and they know or they have hints of how to know, please let me know because I'm really curious, how did they keep the population from growing? Because ultimately it feels to me everything – you can make all the solar power you want. You can make all the electric vehicles you want. You can reduce pollution as much as you can. Ultimately – if you don't also, the population has to level off at some point and probably go lower than it is today. Now, a lot of people are like, immediately they can't stop knee-jerk, like eugenics, and they can't stop thinking racism and all this other stuff, which is like, but it's, that's not 
necessary. It's not those, you know, for better, for worse, we're all dying. We're all going to die naturally. Yeah. And none of that stuff is necessary. And so I kind of wanted to bring it up because we, you and I were talking about it and I got to bring it up at some point. Why not with you? <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. No, dude, I mean, I think it's a very, very, like when you brought it up last time, I was like, wow. I haven't thought of that one yet, <laughs> no. um, or not, at least not at the extent of having a good answer for it. Uh, and I, I have studied some of it since I've I put the question out to a few people that I haven't gotten feedback yet on. Uh, I've, and as I said, I've been out of town, but I am really interested in that because while it is not necessarily always a pressing issue in the very moment with the indigenous culture that I'm looking at at the time. Obviously, it will be at some point. <laughs> like it always will be with every with every little microchasm of, of of civilization somewhere. If you're on a little island, it's going to become a, an issue, right? In America, it may one day become an issue, and so on and so on. Like we, I feel like we have to look at it from a a, a local and a inter, or in a uh, global scenario, right? Globally, we know we got seven billion people. That's a hell of a lot, and and so on. So there's that discussion. And then locally, there's like this space. Does this space have too many? Does this yeah. space have too many? You know, so there's that kind of discussion as well. Um, you know what? You know what I think I found, I think, <laughs> is that at the time when we were talking about when you could view an indigenous culture in its original setting. Right. Uh -huh. So this is back in the day. We didn't have a population problem. <laughs> so it wasn't a big discussion. Now we have a population problem. So I don't know if maybe it just got like it hasn't had it like maybe that discussion at the level that we're talking about hasn't necessarily happened much. Well, in America, I mean, the the knee jerk responses that everybody says is one is eugenics and they think it's about racism and about stuff like that. And well, and sometimes it is, unfortunately. But yeah. And then the other one is, well, you need a certain ratio of young people to old people to sustain. And if you don't keep the population growing then you can't like social security falls apart and like old people fall apart. And I don't buy that either because it, the productivity, we went from a nation of like 25% farmers to 20% farmers. Uh, I'm sorry, like 2% farmers. That's yeah. incredible. Like we have, we have a lot more, uh, what do you call it? Productivity. We have incredible productivity. I don't think, yeah, there, there's a transition period you have to go through, but it's not un, it's not impossible. And, in any case, the alternative is impossible of pop, not just population growth, but like a certain percent growth per year means exponential growth. Right. That gets really fast all of a sudden. So well, and it, people, and it, tips, it gets, it gets you know, derailed. It gets more. Yeah. Go ahead. So it just gets derailed into conversations about like it's absolutely impossible to do anything but keep growing exponentially without considering what are the consequences of that, which to me is overshoot and collapse. And overshoot and collapse is nature. The result is through – uh, running out of resources or through disease or through wars, then the population decreases in some way that's going to be a lot less pretty than what we'd come up with on our own if we come up with anything on our own. Yeah, man. I, I, I mean, I think my biggest uh, quandary here, like you and I are totally on the same page. I, unfortunately, I, I just don't know the answer as to like what has been – has there been a methodology, which is what you asked me, has there been a methodology in the past that has uh, – worked quote unquote <laughs> um, you know for a particular society in terms of population control like they had an agreement they had mechanisms they had uh, whatever it is laws or whatever it is in place that um, <laughs> that 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 addressed the population growth in a 
Hello? Ah, are you there? I am. Okay, so the last thing you were saying was, are there mechanisms that address the population issue in a healthy – that's where it got cut off. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, 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 The problem is that I don't think that it was as big of an issue back then as it is now, like as a discussion point. Like, I don't know if there are people out there saying, oh, we need to figure this out, right? Um, and well, when you're, when you're 10,000 people now. on an island, it's really easy. And certainly in the 60s and 70s, there was the ZPG, Zero Population Growth Movement, and it, it didn't really – I don't know I don't know what happened to it. It seems to have fizzled out. And there's a, a few people. I interviewed a guy, Dave Gardner, who does Growth Busters, which is uh, a documentary and a community that he's forming to look at these issues. But it's not – you know, no politician, I doubt anywhere, got elected by saying, let's look at the population and see if we can keep it from growing more. I don't – Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of nervous about putting this on. Like I was talking to some other people who, who are really supportive of this podcast, and they're doing stuff that's similar. I'm not going to say who they are because they're like, we don't want to, um, we don't want to get into issues that are divisive like that or potential. You know, they, they want to keep things safe. And I agree. Politically, you got to keep things that people aren't going to get really angry at you about for some time. But eventually, you got to face population and. You know, my big resource here is Limits to Growth, the book, that it's widely misunderstood, but I think basically, you know, captures the basic picture. At least that's my one of my main perspectives on this. I've never met someone who's read it. I, I, I know people who – I've never met someone who's read it and really understood it because it's got a bit of math in it. Oh, really? Or not math, but like it talks about some mathematical modeling that they do on computers. I, mm. I'm reading the book. I was reading the book like this is years uh, ago. And for the first time, I was like, this is, they're saying, they're doing, they're looking at this the way that I think is the way to look at the, like the environment and the economy and, and population and technology and how all these things interrelate. And I'm reading it, I'm thinking, they're, this is how to look at it. How has, how has it been that no one else has looked at it this way? And on top of the perspective, they actually put in some numbers and did the math. And the numbers have big error bars, so they had to model it in many different ways. And widely misinterpreted. People looked at like the worst case scenario, which they're just projecting one po one possible scenario, and everyone's like, "Oh, they're produce projecting doom and gloom," which they weren't. They were just doing a number of different po uh, possibilities. Mm. Anyway, highly <clears throat> again. I mean, from a timeline perspective, this might be the most relevant time to have this discussion, right? Don't you think? The longer we wait, the more challenging it gets. <laughs> yeah, true. Well, and, and, and in that it may not have happened before and seems like we're having, or at least not at a, at a large extent, we're having a hard time finding more information about it. Yeah, maybe this is the time we start to put that together. I hope so. I mean, that's, that's part of the reason why I'm taking the risk of talking about it. Maybe these other people are right, and if you talk about it, I'm going to lose listeners and people are going to get angry with me. I'm not sure. You know, other things that people say, a lot of people have this response of Malthus projected that this is going to happen and from thousands for thousands of years people are saying the end of the world is nigh and so far it hasn't you know we're i'm pretty happy <laughs> yeah and so everyone so far was wrong why would we expect it now of all the thousands of years of of recorded history why should we think that now it just happens to be the time when it actually is the case maybe just like everyone before we're wrong or maybe you know Malthus. Maybe he was right, but he got the numbers off, so he was projected that the we'd we'd hit population problems earlier, and then the Green Revolution happened, and so forth. And maybe we'll be able to keep it going longer 
you know, we'll figure out a way to keep, maybe we'll just always find ways out of things. Or a lot of people say it's leveling off right now. And for whatever reason, it's leveling off and it's working out. Even though we didn't intentionally do it, it's just happening anyway. I don't know if I buy that. I understand it. I don't know if I buy it. Yeah. Even if it does happen, it's still coincidence. And I, it's, I don't want to, and like I think on, on some level, <clears throat> that's a reasonable part of the discussion, but it's not an answer. Yeah, it's there's no guarantee it's gonna because it, you know the Green Revolution. A lot of people look at that as it saved a lot of people from hunger, but another way of looking at it is that it it increased the population that would have leveled off earlier, and now if there's it and and how did it do it? It's not the Green Revolution largely turned fossil fuels into food. Through fertilizer and things like that, and and you know, powering machines to do what, be, what beyond what humans could do on their with their hands, so that now we get a lot of food that the number of calories we're getting out of it is not much more than the calories we burned from fuel to make it. I appreciate, by the way, that you're jumping into this conversation with me because no one talks about it, and I hope it becomes a bigger part of the conversation. Well, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm grateful that you brought it up because prior to that, obviously, I hadn't really thought about that particular dynamic, but I recognize its importance for sure and the relevance in today. You know, I, I was thinking about this um, <clears throat> as I was sitting here doing a little bit of research as we're talking here. I was just trying to find if there's – I just typed in peaceful mechanisms for population control, um, which, by the way, did not bring up a lot of results, but um, I, uh, I'll keep looking. Um, I, I have a resource that I can talk to. Um, are you familiar with the Overview Institute by chance? I'm not. Um, you'd know probably a lot of the people that are involved. Uh, it's a lot of, you know, scientists, uh, astrophysicists, neuroscientists, um, <clears throat> and anthropologists and so on. And a few gurus. Uh, but they are, it, it stemmed from Frank White's book, The Overview Effect. He wrote in, I don't know, I think it was in the 70s or something. And he interviewed like 83 astronauts or 70 some astronauts, I think. And he, uh, he found that the greatest thing that they discovered was not necessarily going out across or out into uh, basically breaking the orbit of our earth and going out and, and looking out into the universe was not the greatest thing that they experienced. It was looking back at the earth and realizing uh. this Gaia concept of like, Oh my God, this is one living, breathing organism. We're all part of that. Um, there's no division. There's no lines, you know, separating people. There's no this. There's no that. Um, and what you can't, it, it's like you can't escape the, the interconnectedness of it all. You know, it's like, it, it's, it's like you, you can go eat a bunch of mushrooms and do that, or you can go orbit the earth. <laughs> and uh-huh. you get that kind of interconnected, you, you can't escape the interconnectedness, right? So he wrote about that. He started the Overview Institute. From that, there came a, 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 a short film by some cool kids, uh, called, uh, Overview Effect, or no, just Overview, 20 minute film. Few years ago, amazing, and then that morphed into a two-hour-long actual documentary, Planetary, which is one of my favorite documentaries ever. It's just freaking beautiful, just beautiful. Um, it's one of those documentaries that says, "Yeah, here's here's the things that are happening and what's going wrong, but here's our potential." Uh, and I like that. I think we need more of that. Um, so anyway, he's behind all that, and he runs Overview Institute. I'm working very closely with him now in just discussions about possible collaborations and things between the two of us. And uh, that might be a question I could pose to the Overview Institute as a research project, like to figure out something about this. Please. I I mean, I I don't know anyone doing anything like this to figure out what's worked. Thanks for kicking it off. (laughs) Anytime. 
Um, I hope I didn't I, just lose like, like half my readers or half my <laughs> listeners. Well, I mean, and you know me well enough to know that I, I think that I, even with my podcast and things like that, I try to be fairly, dare I say, diplomatic. What I really mean by that is strategic <laughs> in that I'm, uh, I want to say it, say what needs to be said in a way that doesn't push everybody away from us. So I'll figure that out. <laughs> that's our, yeah, that's, it's, that's our challenge. Well, yeah, and that's branding. So I, I can tackle that one. <laughs> oh yeah, you're Brenda. <laughs> yeah. All about how you tell the story. Are you enjoying meeting this guest? Are you thinking about what you care about? I recommend making it active. Think about what you could do, not just analyze and plan, not do what others tell you to, but to live by your values. You'll enjoy your results. People will follow you more than you think, and you'll impact more than you expect. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast for examples of what others have done. All right, so now let's. Uh, now I want to go to uh, leadership in the environment. Yeah. And you know what's coming, that we've talked about this, that, that uh-huh. what I ask at your option, you don't have to do this. Actually, no, let me, let me take a step back before talking about the challenge. What, when you think environment, what do you think about besides population because it's on your mind right now? When I think about the environment, I think for me personally, with that kind of open-endedness, I'll take it in my direction. I think about, first of all, I've, t- I've written a lot about and talked a lot about how environment matters. And I mean that in terms of anything outside of you that is influencing you. So that's one perspective that I'm coming into this with. And then recognizing that our natural environment, to me, is the most profoundly beautiful gift outside of our humanness that we've been given. And we are part of that. It's not separate from us any more than the whole you know, the concept of God or spirit is separate from us. It's everything is interconnected like that. And, and I think that for me, when I think of environment, I think of an extension of me or me as an extension of, of it. (laughs) We are interconnected in that way. So this isn't something to me that is something out there. This is something to me that is like my skin. It's part of me. You're summarizing it and, and stop me if I oversimplify, but I just want to make sure I understand. The environment is not separate from you. It's a part of you. You are a part of it. And if you're helping the environment, you're helping yourself. Absolutely. And and, and others. And yes. everybody else is it's also every what what the connection between you and the environment is a connection between every living creature in the environment. Absolutely. And so if you're helping the environment, you're helping yourself, you're helping everybody. If every if others help the environment, they're helping you, they're helping each other, they're helping themselves. And why not? Why would you not do that? Yeah, and, well, and obviously the you know the opposite of that is also true. If I'm destroying the environment, then you're destroying yourself. You're destroying a part of everything that in it. Yeah. So as I you know as a humanitarian, as a philanthropist, whatever, I, I how I can't do that, right? Doesn't make sense. <laughs> it's incongruent. It's like it. There's a break there in my philosophy. If I if I say I want to help people, but I don't care about the land, and hey, man, in in all honesty. It's really only been like the last five or six years that I have been more of an environmentalist because before I took the very, you know, maybe immature zealot approach as an activist to um, really to saying, look, there are people out there who cares about all this talk about the environment. We got to deal with people. Obviously, how ignorant was that? I realize now, but um, I'm I, at the time I was in the trenches, you know, in, in Congo and in Rwanda and whatever, uh, seeing us from a certain perspective. And I was I was acting out as a result of that particular sort of myopic, I think, at the time perspective. So how does this change that you've gone through in the past few years, how has it affected you 
I mean, it, there's the material things of presumably some things you're not doing that you used to do and some things you're do- doing now that you didn't used to. In what way is it changing your life meaningfully? Yeah, it- well, it, it, it is. Um, it had a, a really probably the most profound effect really on my diet, I guess. And, and the, the progression of it is this. When I was 15 years old, and I'm 40 now, but when I was 15 years old, I became a vegetarian or vegan, actually, which, you know, back then was a little wasn't the biggest discussion going around. We didn't have the internet, you know, getting that information out and so on. And I, I was cycling at the time as a, as a, you know, on, on road bikes and so on. And that was kind of the thing and, and getting more in tune with your health. I read diet for a new America by John Robbins, um, and whom I still follow. And it rocked me. And I said that, you know, just from where I'm at in my mind, in terms of how I care about humanity, it makes sense and, and animals and everything else. It makes sense to be a vegan. Now, I was very uneducated at the time about that. I was 15 years old, you know, and it wasn't a big discussion where I lived, but I did it. My brother and I did it. And, uh, I think that lasted about two, three years. And then I just became vegetarian, meaning I would eat fish and eggs and, and dairy, really. So fast forward to now and. Over the last five or six years, again, of, of recognizing the interconnectedness of it all and recognizing that my eating habits, if I'm eating meat and, and dairy and, and, and so on, all these other animal products, I am contributing to what I now know to be probably the biggest detriment to our planet, which is animal agriculture. So for me, recognizing that my eating habits was contributing to the to the one thing that's destroying our planet more than anything else, and, and again, you know now when I say planet or people in this particular discussion is kind of one and the same. <laughs> it's affecting us, you know, this thing, that our existence, um, and I couldn't do it anymore. So about that was about two two or so years ago. You know what? And, and, and honestly, I, again, I have to, I give a little credit to, to old Cowspiracy. That was the, I watched that film and, I, and that was the thing that kind of put me over the edge where I was kind of there anyway. And then I saw the film and I was like, yeah, that was enough information. I don't ever need to eat meat products or animal products again. Um, so, you know, so I, I stopped it then and now I recognize that yeah, my my life, my habits, my lifestyle, everything that I do like that, it has an impact. And and I mean, obviously, I've been preaching that from one perspective, from one angle for a long time. But now I'm on uh, I have new information to add into that. And that is the effect on the environment. So it's it's your relationship with the environment is tight, interrelated and deep. And you've done a lot of things that sound like you're glad that you did and maybe wish you had done earlier. And. So you have a you have a particular challenge, and the more you've done, the well, I don't know. I was about to say the more you've done, maybe the harder it is to find other things to do, but maybe it's easier to find other things. I'm not sure yet. <laughs> well, here's your chance to find out. Is it? I knew that we would be exploring that territory, but um, so I, here's I, it, it is an interesting scenario, and 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 honestly too, by the way, a little shout out to yourself there. Uh, you've challenged me to cut back on on the packaging scenario, so we've been analyzing that because uh, I think that's. That may, maybe is one of my my next steps. Just in, in in our discussions, I keep thinking, okay, how I think about it way more than I ever have before. The packaging that's like an area I hadn't really focused on until you and I started talking. Well, that might be where you go then, because and it's I, it's a scary. It's it like I don't face scary things in this realm very often. It's always just like, yep, I'm doing that. And this one, I'm like, oh crap, how am I gonna do that? I'm glad you said it's scary now because if you take it on, I have a feeling that afterward, I. 
I, I, like I would bet money on this that afterward you would say some one of the many opposites of scary that you you're like, probably right yeah it, like the change is scary not mm-hmm. the what you get to on the far side because people yep. live for thousands of years without plastic let alone <laughs> packaging yeah so <clears throat> let me give you the 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 rules as they've evolved not rules but you know here I invite people at their at your option to take on a personal challenge and I because so many people stop themselves by saying, if I do this and the meat industry doesn't change and it doesn't matter what I do or the <laughs> some of the industry, you know, I'm not saying you have to change the world overnight. I'm not saying you have to solve yeah. all the world's problem, problems. I'm just inviting you to take on a challenge. And it has to be something you weren't already doing. It has to be something that you can't – it can't be you're going to tell other people to change. I mean you can tell them that, but that's not part of the challenge. It's the, this challenge is for you to take on this change yeah. and something meeting your values, something that you – you know, I'm not. I, I try to avoid myself suggesting to the person what they do because you know your values better than anyone else. Right. And so, does anything come to mind as as it? Oh, and and it can be short term, and they basically all are short term. But when you do it, think about it. I, I I ask you when you do it, think about considering doing it long term, maybe forever. Well, I knowing myself, <laughs> I I think that if I if I think of something here and. And you know, and it happens. I'll just keep doing it because um, I, I think that if, if in a moment I recognize its richness and sweetness in my life and how much it's contributed to what I really care about, which is to sort of foster that reverence for interconnectedness in our lives, such that it's echoed through our lifestyles, I I, I would be inclined to just keep doing it. So uh, that I also, <laughs> when I'm taking this into consideration, what would that challenge be? I'm thinking about that too, and that whatever this is, uh, there's a very high likelihood I'll just continue to do it forever and make it part of my life because I'll recognize the benefit to our planet and humanity in, in doing that. Sounds great, uh, although it may sock off the. You might, you might not like the experience. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I said the high likelihood. I'm not guaranteeing anything. <laughs> So anything come to mind as something to do? Well, I mean, honestly, the the biggest one, and, and you know, I had thought about this a little bit before, is the packaging element because we do, you know, I have a family. I have three kids and we buy, uh, you know, from Costco about once a month. Everything else, you know, we get from local people and from Sprouts, Organic Market and stuff like that. Um, but we don't, uh, but we still get the stuff from Costco. We still get the stuff where I end up having an entire garbage bag full of, um, recyclables. Now it's recyclable, quote unquote, but y- you know the deal on that too. So I'd, I'd rather it just not be there to be recycled. Yeah, so uh, just to make sure, when you, the deal is that something like less than 10% of what's, what we call recyclable actually ends yeah. up getting being, being recycled. It, Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that's in, in terms of, yeah, that's the deal, I guess I was talking about. Um, I, I, my, my faith in the whole recycling bit has, uh, has dwindled considerably the more I've learned, I guess is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think really what we should do is figure out how to do something other than creating, uh, packaging and plastics and things like that. So that's a big challenge for me. But honestly, honestly, I think it's the biggest one that I can think of. And it's the one that I, I, I do want to commit to. As scary as it sounds, and, and really the reason it sounds scary, yes, is change is scary, whatever. However, you know me, I, I, I like to embrace the change. It's really just like the fact that we live in Nashville and things, you know, they're, they're seasonal. Oh, another thing that we're trying to do too, and I'll just throw in, and this is a bonus, is to eat more seasonally. 
uh, when we're in seasonal places. We lived in a tropical environment for 12 years. We didn't have to eat seasonally. <laughs> we just ate mangoes and whatever and, and avocados every day because they're right there in front of our, in our yard. But here we, we have been challenged to eat more seasonally. Uh, and I can't, it means I can't eat the foods I love, you know, for the last 12 years because they're not available in Nashville, Tennessee. We are not in the tropics. Um, so seasonal eating is something that we're starting right now as the season's changing, uh, and, and making that commitment as a family. And then also, I think the bigger challenge for us is to start to eliminate, um, as much as packaging as possible. And, and I, I don't even know what that looks like, but I, I do want to eliminate that as well. I think that's the biggest source of like, <laughs> I don't mean this in a you know, bad way necessarily, but that's the biggest source of guilt that I have is the packaging scenario. Because already in terms of regular trash, we hardly have anything. Almost all of our trash is recyclable or compost, which I compost too. So, but again, I, I'd like to re- eliminate at least half of that uh, recyclable mix. All right, so that sounds like a pretty good plan. I mean, it sounds like you are enthusiastic about it. You're nervous you're not about making it. this this commitment for you and for me and my wife. <laughs> so you get a twofer on this one. Well, I can tell you that this is. The two big things that I've seen that are the monkey wrenches that challenge people is not their resolve. It's other people when they interface with other people and when they travel and they're yep. not in their a world that's all under their control anymore. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the most difficult time to do it when you're traveling. Oh, great. Thank you. Yeah, Thank man. you for sharing that. I'll talk to you again soon. Excellent. Thanks, brother. All right. Bye. Peace. Personal responsibility and action. Too many people, in my opinion... They feel guilty, especially around errors in the environment, and they attribute it to others. In my experience, independent of the cause, the solution is to act. It's to do something. It's to bring your values or to bring your behavior in line with your values. If they're not aligned, you're going to feel guilty. Well, let me speak only of myself. When they're not aligned, I feel guilty. And as much as I'd like to say it's someone else, it's usually someone else might reveal that I'm acting not in accordance with my values but that guilt comes from inside. And again, the solution is internal. It's to do something. It's to bring my behavior in line with my values or switch my values, but usually it's the behavior that has to switch. So that's what I really liked about talking with Jared. He's open. He brings out openness in others. I think that's why I've become great friends. So I look forward to hearing how his challenge goes. Does hearing leaders acting on their values make you think of yours? Nothing will make you feel better than acting on them. Value means better. Acting on your values means improving your life. Committing publicly helps many people and builds community too. If you want, click on Commit to a Personal Challenge to share what you do with this community. You'll be a leader among leaders. We're more than a podcast. We're a movement to share how acting on environmental values means fun, joy, growth, and so on, not sacrifice or deprivation. If you want to join or help, contact me at josh at spodak.net or at joshuaspodak.com slash podcast. You'll grow as a leader. You'll enjoy yourself and the world and your communities will thank you for it.